guys, and welcome to another episode of Draft Daily. I'm your host, as always, Elliot Chris. You can follow me on Twitter, at Elliot Chris. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. You know, whenever you go through the draft process, the thing that always comes up is film versus metrics and which one matter more. So I have a very, very special guest today. Mike Clay of ESPN is joining us. Mike, how you doing today? Hey, I'm good. It's good to be here. Uh, enjoying the, the uh, somewhat relaxing off-season, I guess, right? So I... You know, I was at Disney World and enjoyed the. I'm an Eagles fan, so enjoyed the Super Bowl. That was that was a crazy week. So, uh, kind of now settling into you know off season analysis, that kind of stuff. That's amazing that you're an Eagles fan. I'm jealous, very jealous as a Jets fan. I know you're ah. you're famous on Twitter for being biased against people's favorite team, but if you tell me the Jets are bad, I'm not going to think you're biased. I think you're going to be factual. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, you know, I think we were all low on them last year, so I guess that's good. Uh, maybe Todd Bowles can kind of get a lot out of a little, you know, so uh, we'll see as they uh, put it this way, talent-wise, roster-wise, and in terms of the the ability of the players on their roster, it can only get better, Elliot. So, you know, <laughs> maybe <laughs> there's maybe only one way to go up. up. You say exactly. that, and then we end up with Josh Allen, and then there's there's a whole uh, other way uh, to go. But we'll get it. We'll get into Josh Allen <laughs> later, guys. Uh, Mike Clay, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Clay NFL. Probably my favorite follow on all of Twitter. One of the smartest people I've ever interacted with. Mike, can you walk me through your process for evaluating a player? Yeah, um, I, you're, I assume you're talking like incoming draft, right? Like uh, like rookies. Yes, 100. percent Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly there's there's a lot to to that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a guy who's watching play by play throughout the NCAA season, so I'm not sitting there every Saturday. You know, as as you know, those of us covering the NFL, that's kind of relaxing days is, is Saturday. So I do a lot of my grinding um, in the off season, and and there's a lot of pieces to that. I mean, for, the first thing I'm doing is kind of coming up with a, a list of all the players, you know, the, the the top prospects, and you know, even like six, seventh rounders, undrafted guys, getting the, kind of a sample together, taking some notes, scouring the web for people I trust, you know, people that do the heavy lifting, that do this year round, like I don't. Find notes on the players, and then obviously. Uh, I'm going to watch tape on the players. I'm going to I'm going to pull some metrics on them and look pretty closely and see where they stand out. You know, guys who stand out scouting wise, guys who are high pedigree, guys who look good on tape are impressive guys who you look at these advanced metrics. And and I know we'll get into some of them soon, guys that that stand out there as well. And and obviously, I think the other important piece is, you know, what what can they do? You know, is what kind of player is it? I, I look for comps to other players currently in that fell. I think that's uh, a big help. It's not always apples to apples, but it helps knowing if a guy is a a Jordan Howard, right? Like a, a an impressive two down guy who's not a good receiver but could help out at the goal line, versus a guy that's like uh, say a Duke Johnson, you know, who maybe won't get a ton of carries at the NFL level, uh, or a Gio Bernard player like that who will do lots of damage, could catch 50, 55 footballs. That's important to know uh, as well. So that's the kind of grinding I'm doing pretty pretty much all across uh, the, all the positions, especially on the offensive side. You mentioned those metrics. Can you can you share with us uh, some of your favorite metrics and metrics that you use most when evaluating a player? Yeah, well, I mean, I follow you on Twitter as well. So I, I you know, you do great work and I see some of the stuff you're talking about. So I think we'll be kind of uh, on the same page here. Uh, and, and, and again, I was just talking running backs. I mean, definitely elusiveness and, and forcing missed tackles. Uh, production after initial contact, you know, I think that kind of stuff is really important. And, and I, I look at some other things as well that maybe most people don't, you know, just to kind of get an idea if guys excel everywhere, you know, and, and guys that do excel everywhere tend to have success. And, and you know, we'll, again, we'll get into some examples of that, but uh, look at guys that produce first downs often, you know, that, that'll suggest a pretty good success rate. Guys that convert a high percentage of their third downs, guys that don't get a lot of negative runs. How about explosiveness? Guys that get a lot of five or 10 plus yard 
carries. You know, those kind of things are, again, just a piece of the puzzle, not something you say, okay, well, the guy has a lot of 10 plus yard carries. He's going to be explosive in the NFL. It's, it's cut and dried, you know, draft him. You know, it's not that simple, but you know, all, all of these are variable. So I think, uh, you know, those are some things for running backs. I mean, quarterbacks looking at off target rates, uh, you know, efficiency, completion rates, you know, do they add some value as a rusher? All of those are important. And then, you know, I think, I, I don't know if you agree with this. I think it's easier to use numbers for running backs and quarterbacks. I think once you get into receivers and even to a lesser extent, tight ends, when it comes to scouting, it's tougher. You know, you need more scouting here. Uh, there's more variance involved in, you know, the efficiency numbers for catching the football. So, I'm more leaning on scouting for that. I'm looking at how good of a blocker tight ends are. I'm looking for receivers. I'm looking at where they're lining up on the field. I'm looking at average depth of target. How are these guys used? I think that uh, is a really important way to kind of project them forward. You know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a projection guy at, at ESPN. I'm trying to figure out how these guys will be used and, and how that's going to convert into their statistical production. I agree with you in terms of, I think, numbers help me most with quarterbacks and running backs. Um, but even then, you know, there's adjustments to be made. With quarterbacks, a lot of people like to use completion percentage, but like you talked about, average depth of target is going to be huge. On top of that, you know, drop rate, you add that in and you get kind of adjusted completion percentage, the thing that PFF does over there, which is really helpful. But then you factor in opponent strength, right? So we're going to get into Baker Mayfield a little bit, but he plays in the Big 12 and Big 12 quarterbacks end up playing softer schedules, which lead to higher numbers. And you need to be able to adjust for that. And running backs, we talk about the most popular one is yards per carry. That's the one throw, people throw out all the time. But I think that might be the least helpful one because it, it doesn't play into the factor situations. It doesn't play into the factor of the offensive line. I love the one you talk about with um, yards after contact and forced miss, missed tackles. And I think it led you to Kareem Hunt last year, if I'm not mistaken. That was one of my guys, too. I loved him on film. On film or by the numbers, he was breaking tackles left and right like it was nobody's business. And we saw him kind of crush his first year in the NFL. I think his missed tackle rate was one out of every 3.1 opportunities last year. Alvin Kamara was one out of every 2.9. Do you have any players that have popping in this area yet this year? Uh, yeah, definitely. And you're right on Hunt. I, you know, I liked him early on. I think uh, I think pro football focus had a part of, you know, a, a play in that. They, you know, you guys did a lot of uh, analysis on ability to break tackles. And I obviously caught that and you could see it statistically as well. So that, that was important. And, and I think eventually everyone figured that out. It was easy to see he was going to be a value pick in the draft and was going to be a productive player. And we saw that for the Chiefs last year. Talk about a great landing spot for him. But, you know, it goes deeper. I mean, Chris Carson was my favorite sleeper last year. I was shocked he lasted to round seven, and I think he's already paid off dividends for the Seahawks. So uh, I'm intrigued to see what he does healthy now here in year number two. Jordan Howard, two years ago, he was my favorite player in that draft uh, in terms of value, and and he's looked great so far as a runner for Chicago. So I think there's definitely and, – and, of course, there's misses in there. Uh, as well. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, looking at, at those kind of metrics is, is important and, and certainly important variables, if you will, relative to some others. And and, and again, looking at them for this year, um, I think looking at, again, the two main stats, yards after contact and forcing missed tackles, which again, sourcing PFF on this one, Josh Adams from Notre Dame. I think he's a guy that's really interesting to me. I would not say I'm ecstatic about his tape. Uh, you know, he's he runs really tall. You know, he's he's a big back, uh, which is interesting to me. I, I'm usually a sucker for those those bigger guys. 
who run a little upright, kind of stiff, you know, like a Howard, a little bit of a Howard, but certainly a guy like DeMarco Murray does that. And and it's a little bit concerning, but he has great long speed. I mean, the guy's metrics are outstanding. He, uh, I know you guys like him a lot in elusive rating. His yards after contact is best in the class of all the running backs will be at the combine. He is the best yards after contact per attempt. You look at breaking tackles. He's terrific in that, in that department as well. So he might have, have some limitations catching the football. And in terms of, uh, you know, maybe maybe not the most agile guy, but again, he's, he's elusive. He's forcing missed tackles. That's important. So um, could be a mid-round guy, maybe even a late-round guy, but I like him a lot. Sony Michelle, Rashad Penny, I think those guys jump out as well in those categories. And then, you know, I, I want to throw, throw Royce Freeman in here and Jordan Wilkins as well. I mean, those guys, not great after contact, but a terrific el- eluding tacklers and really good across the board in other categories. So, um, again, that's why you can't just look at one quick category, say a guy's average or below average somewhere, and just cross them off. I think there's... There's a lot of variables to consider, and, and those guys jump out in other areas. That's interesting you mentioned Josh Adams because I've done my preliminary uh, research on him and started watching a couple games, and I didn't love him that much. And one of the things I noticed was, you know, he's running behind a great offensive line, and I think a lot of a lot of his elusiveness and a lot of his ability to run through tackles is the fact that he's meeting guys five, six yards off the line of scrimmage and has already built up that speed and that size allows him to do that. So I think some of that is a product of his offensive line. I'm with you on Michelle in terms of his film. Like, I think it's outstanding. His numbers were really good this year. Freeman is really interesting to me because I think so much of what he does is his vision and it sets up everything else yet he's not an elite athlete. Penny is someone another interesting case study because I think he's a really good two down back. I think we've talked about him a little bit but then you get into level of competition right where he's he's playing out in the Mountain West and he's not playing these big time teams and when he played Stanford he looked good and then when he played like a team like New Mexico he looks otherworldly because the guys can't keep up with him and so I think you always got to play with that aspect of the numbers as well and you know i i know you tweeted out a couple days ago i can't wait to find my next kareem hunt and i sent you a message today like dude check out john kelly i think you're gonna love him and your response was no (laughs) (laughs) not not Uh, in terms of like you just blew me off but in terms of you looked up his numbers and can you tell me a little bit about them yeah, well, I didn't say no. Come on, you're making me sound like a. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my bad. That's like my bad. You were just—I was all excited, and your response with the numbers <laughs> shocked me a little bit. Uh, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not saying uh, you know I'm not crossing them off my board, but again, I, I talked about some stats earlier. I looked at—I mean, again, you, you don't want to just look at yards per carry. Obviously, he he wasn't too good there, right around four yards per carry last year. Didn't get much help before contact, you know, and, and that's that's what's interesting to me, you know. And, and you're right, by the way, about Josh Adams. A lot of help before contact. That boosted him a little bit. I agree. I saw that on tape as well. But a lot of big holes he was running through, uh, including in, in some tough games. Like, you know, they play USC. He's running through huge holes. It was it was ridiculous. But um, Kelly kind of on the other side. However, you know, you look at things. He, he didn't create first downs. He didn't convert third downs. He ran for a ton of negative yards. In fact, 27% of his carries last year went for negative yardage. That is the worst among all backs that I have in my long list here didn't have many runs over five yards either. Didn't have many runs over 10 yards. Uh, his efficiency pa- catching the football, which again, I'm not going to put a ton of stock in, but he did have 45 targets. So there's something to be learned there. Not good either. You know, so uh, he's, he's a smaller back. I mean, maybe he can carve out a role as a, uh, as a situational back, a third down back, a pass catcher, a Gio Bernard, Duke Johnson, who I, I mentioned earlier, kind of that sort of role. I'm just not sure he has the size or maybe even the ability 
uh, to be a, a first and second down kind of guy. I think this is a, makes for a really interesting case study because I think it really depends on the game you watch. And that's always a challenge with film is you have to understand that players are going to have up games. They're going to have down games. And you want to be able to balance that. And it's hard to watch every single game of every player and the numbers bring all that in. If you look at his first four games of the year, I think he went for over 100 yards total in all four of them. Uh, his missed tackle rate on the season, I think, was one of every four touches. He broke he broke a tackle. And then Tennessee's pro- – he got suspended. And then Tennessee's program fell apart with Butch Jones and everyone was quitting on the team. And I think some of his numbers are a reflection on that. But those are terrifying numbers. <laughs> like that makes me really scared that what I saw, I need to go back and look again. And I think that's one of the key things with any metric is that when the film and metric don't match up, I don't think that means you have to just say, okay, the film's better. Okay, the metric's better. But try to figure out what it is and why that is. Maybe you made a evaluation that was wrong when watching the guy. Maybe you only watched his good games. You know, maybe the metric doesn't take into account for that situation I just explained in Tennessee. And I think it really points to the fact that both metrics and film are very important in this process. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I like to see, and when I get excited, it's a guy who I look at early. I see, okay, this is, I, I like him on tape. You know, qualitatively, the guy looks pretty good. He looks like he can do the job. And I look at the numbers and I say, all right, they're either, you know, around average, above average. They're, they're decent. They're just not terrible across the board. You know, that's what I'm going to see. And then, you know, even the combine then, which um, I know we'll get to in a second. You know, he goes to the combine. It work out, works out well. You know, when I see all that, that's when I get really excited. But you're right. If a guy is pedestrian in a lot of categories, uh, you know, I'm not going to – or we're one of, the, one of the three at least. I'm not going to just cross him right off. I mean, Saquon Barkley's outstanding. I mean, the guy is ridiculous. And efficiency-wise, he doesn't really stand out statistically, you know. But you know on tape and, and you see the production, you know – that he's going to be a pretty good player. He could do it all. He's a three-down player. Will he live up to the ridiculous expectations? I don't know about that, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. So one of the things I love that you do is the quarterback versus wide receivers, right? Understanding that certain quarterback matchups are much harder than other ones because that plays a huge impact on someone's ability to get open, right? It's easier to get open against me or you than it is against Patrick Peterson. So when you watch... When you look at like Baker Mayfield's numbers, for example, how do you factor in his competition level? Yeah, I think it's variable. Again, like anything else, I, you know, I think you have to, and, and this especially goes for guys who are playing in like D two or, or you know, and not quite up, not quite playing in the ACC or the or the um, SEC things like that. You know, I, I think guys that are down a tier, you have to definitely consider that as their numbers go. So that's for sure. In fact, I don't I don't spend a lot of time on. The numbers for guys who aren't in in uh, you know in D one in the FBS. So um, I think that's that's definitely a factor, something you think about. But at the same time, and and you know I get this a lot on Twitter too. Like just because he played an easy schedule, you know you can't say his numbers are just fully unusable, right? You know, and and you and you see that a lot on Twitter. You'll say this guy, you know, he completed X percent of his passes weeks one through four. To say it's an NFL quarterback, and you'll get the responses. Yeah, but look at the schedule. They played the well. The, even if it's an easy schedule, you can't just cross out the data, right? And totally ignore it. No, you adjust it. You normalize it. And and I think that, uh, and, and I'm not saying you have to do it statistically. You can mentally or qualitatively just do that and say, yeah, you had an easy schedule. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe you didn't complete 70%. Maybe it's 66 against a, a normal, uh, a normal set, a normal opposition, an easier schedule, an average schedule, that kind of thing. So I think you, again, I think you normalize the data. I don't think you just totally cross it off. And I think that is something you do for a guy like Baker Mayfield, but man, I mean, 
that guy's so far off the charts. I mean, you 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 can normalize him massively, and he's still the best in the group. I think. Yeah, no, I'm 110 percent with you on that one. Like, I think that with Baker Mayfield, people are trying to discredit him because he played in the Big 12 and he played against easier competition. But one thing I always want to see from anybody is, do you dominate lesser competition? Because that's a sign that you're great. And then the other aspect of it is, you know, he's still making NFL throws all over the field. A 60-yard throw into a tight window against a bad defense is still a 60-yard throw into a tight window. Exactly. But obviously, there are, certain, there are other plays, like he's got 10 yards slant and he hits him on the money and the defender is three yards behind him and the guy does the rest of the damage. Like What you said is incredibly important, and it's context and understanding that you don't necessarily have to put it in your numbers, but you just want to mentally make notes that you know you have to adjust for certain things and understand that not everything is on an equal playing field. And I think that gets into market share, which is, a, is something that people really bring up for wide receivers in terms of their future success rate of the NFL and market share is basically how often when you're on the field are you being targeted by your quarterback and in a bubble I would say that's a good determining factor for you know how good and how featured you are in the offense I think it gets difficult because you see all these college offenses and how different they are and you know just bringing up an example of like a Calvin Ridley doesn't necessarily have a great market share but he plays for Alabama where the quarterback is told you make one read and if he's not open you run because if you t- if you make a bad decision that's the only way we can lose the game so it becomes how often is he getting a play designed for him as opposed to say you play for baker mayfield and they're running three wide receiver sets the whole game long and you have a quarterback that can go through multiple progressions that can lead to your market share being much higher so i think that's another thing you need to have context with in terms of not all college stats are just equal across the board yeah, definitely. And and I've read a lot about that. Uh, you know, every year there's good content on, I think, uh, over at number fire, they do some on that. Uh, you know, you see it ac- across the web, uh, uh, whether it's market share or breakout age, which is interesting as well. You know, I agree both have value, you know, you see that that correlates to success to some extent, which is important. So that's something you'd, you definitely want to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, breakout age is something I've definitely looked at, uh, or certainly keep an eye on a player's age as they come into the league, because, if a guy comes in at 23, 24, you want to see results right away. You, you don't want to see a guy that comes in and, and should be polished that struggles, whereas a guy that comes in at age 20 and, you know, gets off to a slow start, you're willing to say, okay, you know, he's still very young. Um, he was terrific at college at, at age 19. You know, I'm going to willing to give him a little bit more time. But if a guy like Jeremy Langford comes in and is just horrific his first year, you know, you're, you're concerned. Devontae Booker, Paul Perk, you know, or, or Devontae Booker is another guy that came in older and struggled, whereas Paul Perkins was a lot younger. So I was a little more lenient on him. And it looks like, you know, his struggles have held up a little bit. But, you know, there's there's always guys like that. And, and definitely age can be very, very important. So uh, I think stuff like that, like market share, like breakout age, those are, th- are important as well. Yeah, breakout age is really interesting because if you look at last year's wide receiver class, right, Cooper Cup, for example, was 24 coming in the league. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yep. But he came in and was successful right away. If you do draft someone that's 24 years old, they're be- – you're not giving them any time to grow. You know what I mean? Like Calvin Ridley is a good example this year. If you're drafting Calvin Ridley, you are expecting him to have early production, 110%. Like there's no NFL wide receivers take two to three years to adjust. With Calvin Ridley, I don't, I'm don't. i not waiting until he's 27. Juju Smith comes to the league at 20 years old. You're like, you know what? It takes you a couple of years. That's awesome. Or if he just hits right out the gate like he did, then that's terrific. But at the same time, you don't throw away a 22-year-old being good at football for a 20-year-old who didn't do much just because he's two years younger. So there is a balance of that as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I absolutely agree. And, and you mentioned Smith-Schuster. I mean, talk about a guy 
that I'm, I think we're all super excited for. I mean, to come in as one of the youngest players in the NFL and play at that level, I mean, it, they have to be excited. And that kind of reminds me of Keenan Allen. Remember how young he came in and was kind of buried on the Chargers depth chart initially and thought about quitting football after week two because he knew how good he was and he was just standing around. And then he obviously the injuries piled up quickly and he got on the field and, and you know, just was electric as a young player. And, and you see that time and time again. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. If a guy comes in older and, and doesn't make a quick impact, you, you definitely get nervous. And, uh, you know, Ridley's a guy who, you, like you said, he'll be drafted most likely in the first round. You expect him to be a, a starter right out of the gate. But, you know, maybe a guy that's generating a lot of hype like DJ Moore, maybe it takes him some time. You know, he's younger. He's only 20. And that's okay. I think that's an excellent way to analyze it. And just real quick on Juju Smith, I think he's probably the easiest guy in the league to root for right now. Or he's one of the easiest. Because one, <laughs> his name is Juju, and that might be the most fun name in football to say. And two, he's a Twitter legend, and all of his touchdown celebrations are amazing. So Yeah, definitely. That's, that's the kind of guy you want on your team, for yes. sure. Yes. So I think the next aspect of metrics that come into play is a lot of – you see people occasionally – kind of say, I don't really care what's on the film. I don't care what their numbers are. I just want to know what they do at the combine to determine what kind of athlete they are. How important is the combine to your evaluation? Yeah, again, I think it's another piece of the puzzle. I know I've said that over and over again. It's variable. It's a piece of puzzle, whatever. I I think uh, I look look at everything. You know, I think it's important to consider all aspects. I'm not just going to blindly ignore a certain aspect of a a player, whether it's his 40 speed or off-field tra- off transgressions. I mean, look what's going on with Ruben Foster right now. You know, you can't ignore any of those things uh, as you consider where a guy's going to be drafted uh, or if he's going to have sustainability in the league because of those kind of things. I mean, uh, there's there's a million different things to look at. It's a long process, as you know, and you have to consider everything. So I think the, the combine is something I definitely keep an eye on. I'll be at the combine again this year. I'm going to uh, obviously chart all of the categories and see where guys stand out, you know, whether it's, a guy who maybe disappoints in the 40, but just tears it up in the short area drills and you get excited about what he can do maybe in the slot or underneath routes. Uh, actually, Braxton Miller jumps into my head as a guy that, that fits that fits that description. And we'll see if he pans out, uh, you know, as, as he gets his career rolling. But there's just a, a lot of different things to look at to figure out hand size and short area speed, long speed strength those kind of things i think it's just another piece of the puzzle it sounds like we're pretty much on the same page in terms of the overall evaluation that everything is a piece and that you know like i'm a film guy but i understand that metrics and combine matter you can't just take one thing and throw everything else out otherwise your evaluation is going to be incomplete and the more holes you have in the evaluation the more likely you are to get someone wrong i think the other thing it sounds like you want me to just be like stats only everything else sucks film is for film is dumb it's all stats. Is that better? Does that make for a more controversial podcast? Oh, no. This, these podcasts are not for controversy. <laughs> these are for helping people out understanding the process. I have been yelled at that before, though, because I tweeted last year, when did football talent stop mattering when it comes to being good at football, trying to say that Jordan <laughs> Howard was good. And I got all kinds of responses about, you know, you can't measure talent, so you can't talk about it. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, it's good we are on the same page on Howard because I uh, – Man, I love that guy. I have his jersey hanging here, one of my favorite prospects. So, uh, you know, and and he's probably a good example that you don't have to be great in all areas, right? Like, you know, he statistically, efficiency-wise, he was awesome, and he had a really good combine. But he's he stinks as a receiver. I mean, that guy, I, I that's what makes me nervous as a guy who who does a lot of fantasy work as well. You know, what what is the new regime going to do with him on third down or in, in passing situations? I don't know, but. God, it doesn't really matter. He's just such a good running back, and he's and again another guy that came in young, right? He 
he dominated right out of the gate as a as a very young player. So uh, super excited for him. Yeah, I, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just first off, I did not want you to come on here and tell me that stats are everything. I just wanted to get someone <laughs> who's really good with stats and uses metrics and has them play a role in their evaluation and talk about how they what kind of role they play and how important they are. And I think one thing that's real important about the combine that I just want to mention is if you see something on someone's film and that's part of your evaluation, let's let's just talk about John Ross, for example, last year, right? And you say on your film, you know, electrically quick, very fast, you know, great deep speed. And then he runs a 4-2-2 or whatever it was. You don't necessarily move him up way up your board because of that. All you're really doing is confirming. You want to make sure you don't double count things. It's great mm-hmm. to have the number, but it doesn't mean that you now have to go crazy. Just like if you have a receiver that's a possession receiver and you know, I think he's a bit slower and then he runs a 4-5-5. And that's kind of what you expected. You don't then knock him down. You kind of just adjust based on what numbers surprise you. Chris Godwin would be a great example where his film didn't say what 4-4 and then he runs that, and you're like, okay, what did I miss? That is he just faster out of pads, or let me go back to the film and adjust. And I think you need to combine the numbers and the film and the metrics and see if everything lines up, because sometimes someone can just test well or test poorly, and you don't want to double count things because that's again how you miss on prospects. Uh, I'm with you. You know, I, you don't want to say confirmation bias, but it's certainly kind of kind of in that department. <laughs> you know, it's a you know you want to confirm what what you already did. Um, and you hope to avoid confirmation bias in, in certain regards. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and while you were talking, I was thinking about Laquan Treadwell, right? Like, he, he didn't do everything at the Combine, but there was some concerns about him coming in. Uh, he was very young, but con- concerns that he couldn't separate, you know? He was just going to be a, a possession guy and, and have a, has a high chance of busting, even though he was highly productive. Man, he, I just, you know, every Saturday, just everyone talking about how great this guy was. And then he kind of underwhelmed in the drills he did. You know, he didn't show up strong. He didn't show up super athletic. He, I, he, I don't think he ran the 40, but the reason he didn't run it was because there was worries about his about his speed. And um, it, it showed up so far. I mean, he's been obviously been a massive, massive bust through two years. He's still very young, but certainly some serious concerns about him long term. Yeah, the Treadwell stuff is not going well so far. And the other thing about metrics is sample size is huge, right? So if you're going to say, okay these players that had these numbers were successful or unsuccessful. You can't just have a few guys or a few years worth of data. Um, The more data you have, the more likely it is to be accurate. And For example, last year's radar gun was Deshaun Watson can't throw football and has no chance of being successful. And then you compare it to the other guys he was on the list against and all the quarterbacks that had, you know, below 55 miles per hour were fourth to seventh round guys and those guys success rates are very different so they weren't necessarily the level of prospect someone else's i basically have a rule that i have to mention why deshaun watson's good every podcast so that's why i brought that one up but uh <laughs> yeah he, I, yeah i hear you i mean he had a rough interception rate i remember but uh you know in terms of efficiency and he was good and off target throws wasn't too bad you know relatives i know we're gonna talk about someone else soon that kind of uh, jumps off the screen in terms of you know, being off target too often, being inaccurate. Watson wasn't too bad in that department. Now he was as a rookie. <laughs> Granted, this the sample was small. He was he was horrifically off, uh, off target often last year. Really struggled with accuracy, but he made up for it in other ways. And and we've seen that from other quarterbacks in this league. So uh, obviously, hope that that he'll have a, a terrific career. And and if he's as good as he was last year, I mean, geez, the Texans might go fourteen and two and 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 should make the playoffs but uh you know he's he's a really intriguing prospect if he's as good as he was last year he's gonna set records every season 
Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we saw. I actually, I got, I got some pushback on that for Twitter. I said, you know, we've already seen a ceiling. Where does he settle in? And it was like, you know, how do you know we've seen a ceiling? He's only played a few games. Listen, that was the ceiling, guys. Like yeah. he's not, he's not going to play that that well. Like constantly, he was uh, the best quarterback in the league for like a month every week. It wasn't, you know, he like every play was uh, was good aside of a few miss, you know, the the occasional missed throws, which was his weak spot. But man, yeah, that that's best case scenario, Watson. And if he's anything close to that, he's going to be a, a major major win for that team and a, and a huge asset for them. Yeah, but and listen, I'm the biggest Watson fan there is. And I'm 100% with you that that's his ceiling. I mean, he's thrown for five touchdowns and 350 yards. That's any that's anyone's ceiling, right? Like, he was exactly. on pace to break Peyton Manning's record. That's not his yeah, it's floor. Not that's <laughs> It's not a knock. It's just being realistic, you know? Like, uh, you know, it's like Carson Wentz, too. He, same thing. You can't say that he's going to regress to the mean or you're a hater, right? Like, he... I'm sorry, but he's not going to continue that touchdown rate from last year unless he, you know, unless he's just... A hall of famer for sure like a lock like he and he's gonna have to be better too he's uh he's not a guy that completes a ton of his passes either but i'm um, saying a guy that's gonna regress statistically it does it's not a bad thing you know even even tom brady peyton manning aaron Rodgers, they have their best season at some point you know it's not every year's their best season at some point they uh have a, a normal season and other years they peak so um it's not a knock you know watson wentz they, they look like good players but you know they were probably a little over their head statistically last year yeah, regress doesn't mean bad. Speaking of bad, let's talk Josh Allen versus Baker Mayfield. What do the numbers tell you about the possibilities of each one of these guys' successes? I think anyone looking at the numbers, uh, there's with, and, and listen, who, who are the top guys? Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen, Jackson, you know, uh, Allen, I guess are the, the guys most talked about. I like Mason Rudolph too. You're going to look at tape. You're going to look at numbers and and things are going to jump out. You're going to see things you'll like on tape, things you don't. Uh, but if, if you look at Mayfield statistically, I mean, or both of them, Allen and Mayfield, I mean, it is not even close. I mean, they are there are giant red flags for Allen and I guess green flags for Mayfield. You know, I, uh, you, you look at completion percentage, efficiency rating, QBR, yards per attempt, uh, first downs per per uh, throw. I mean, top two among all of the, the prospects in this year's class and all of those categories and off target percentage, which I like a lot. Average depth of throw. Uh, he has a low interception rate. All of these guys, you know, he's, he's near the, the top of the league in all of these categories. He also adds value with his legs, which we know uh, had a, a handful of touchdowns, ran for over 300 yards last year. So he is uh, probably over the last couple of years looking at these guys, statistic, statistic wise, no one's close. I mean, he is by far across the board, the best in the business, 43 to six touchdown interception ratio. I mean, you can't go wrong. Allen, on the other hand, I mean, it's the opposite. I mean, he's maybe the worst in terms of uh, uh, maybe Christian Hackenberg is the closest comp I could think of. I mean, in terms of just atrocious production and yet getting an unbelievable amount of hype. And uh, I tweeted this about a week or two ago. I was looking at off target throws from the last three years, the top prospects, you know, guys we considered to be drafted, you know, first five rounds or so and are, are really drafted at all. Just all of the, the top prospects, of quarterback, uh, Allen has the worst off target rate, 16.3%. That is the worst among all of the prospects and the guys behind him. And by the way, he's not even close. Like he is easily, the worst. The next closest are Deshaun Kaiser, Jeff Driscoll, Connor Cook, and uh, that Christian Hackenberg guy I just mentioned. So not good. Not a good area to be. And and when you couple that with 56% completion rate, horrific efficiency, only 6.7 yards per attempt, uh, 
an average interception rate. I'll give him that, you know, not creating third downs or uh, first downs. Not good. I mean, I just don't know how you justify taking this guy in the first round. I, I don't see it. It's interesting because if Baker Mayfield had Josh Allen's size and those numbers and Josh Allen had Baker Mayfield's size and his numbers, we would talk about Baker Mayfield as the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck and Josh Allen's exactly. not an NFL quarterback. Oh, yeah. Um, and Mayfield's production's better than, you know, efficiency-wise better than Luck. I mean, he's just, he's off the charts uh, across the board. I mean, it, it's hard to do better. It's almost perfection in terms of efficiency statistically. Yeah, and then one of the other things we always talk about quarterbacks is how do you play when the moment is biggest, right? And Baker Mayfield's fourth quarter numbers are fantastic. I mean, he had a 72.56% completion percentage in his career when he was trailing by one to seven points, which I think is almost even more important than fourth quarter because you never know the situation. They A lot of Oklahoma games, they were already up big. When In his career, trailing by one to seven points, he was 142 for 205, which is a 69.2% completion percentage, for 2,333 yards, 25 touchdowns, two interceptions, which is a 142.74 NFL quarterback rating, which blows everyone else out of the water. And then, you know, Josh Allen, when he played against big competition, had a 51% completion percentage and a seven touchdown to 13 interception rate with an NFL rating of 51 spot 3-4. So... I don't even understand how these guys are in the same ballpark as prospects because nothing other than size and Allen's ability to put velocity on the football is yeah, and, even remotely yeah. close. And so yeah, is and Baker. I, I, sorry, I, I, sorry. I, I just love someone to tell me how this isn't Hackenberg all over again. I mean, talk about a guy that was so obviously going to bust. I mean, he just again, same thing, big with a big arm and just horrific accuracy and efficiency. I mean, what's different now? What What am I missing about Allen. I know the supporting cast wasn't great, but come on, man, that, that only goes so far. I mean, if you're a, an elite player and you're going to be a star quarterback in the NFL, you got to make do and, and be at least pedestrian, right? He, he was below pedestrian. That That's my issue. Yeah. I mean, the supporting cast issue, I have an issue with too, because, you know, if you're a quarterback, you're supposed to raise the level of all your guys, right? That's what makes Tom Brady great is it almost doesn't matter who you put at receiver. It all works out. Josh Allen didn't raise the level of anyone. You almost wonder if was his junior year a product of the other guys because, you know, they left and he became awful. And it's just tough because Allen really is the build of what a quarterback has been when he's busted. All the recent ones, right, from Paxton Lynch to Christian Hackenberg, like this this big quarterback with a big arm who's not accurate and makes mistakes and doesn't make good decisions, I can't think of anyone that's worked out so this was my question was is there anyone who fits Allen's build that has been successful in the NFL like I couldn't think of one well I don't think so in terms of guys who are non-productive or or or, or just poor collegially right like you know the the guys who are very good and I mean look at Sam Darnold I mean the guy has a, a good frame and, and he's big as well has a good arm but the production's there too, you know. He he actually was was pretty good at USC, and I know he threw some. Uh, he's had too many picks, and you know, is it's not like he's his efficiency is through the roof like Mayfield. But the level of competition was was tough as well, different offense, that kind of thing. But you know, he he at least was productive, so you could feel more excited about him. In recent years, no, I don't, I don't think anybody else is really jumping out to me that that was just poor uh, poor efficiency wise, but came in you know, as a big prospect, big arm, and, and turned into a success story. I'm sure there's somebody uh, we're not thinking of, but off the top of my head, I, I you know, the same guys that you mentioned are uh, are there. I, I just, again, I, I can't stop thinking about Hackenberg. It just feels like the same story 
all over again. And I'm sure it's going to be the same result. Some team is going to throw the dart in round two, and it's it's not going to work. Yeah, my comparison for him is Bo- Kyle Bowler, just in terms of someone all that right. didn't really do much in college, but had that huge arm and got everybody really excited. That was a good athlete. Went round one. Do you really think Josh Allen's going to fall to round two? Uh, no, I don't. But, you know, it's it's possible. I, you know, you never know because it's we're doing this on February 12th and the draft is still, you know, over two months away. And we've seen guys fall. We've seen guys rise. And and, and uh, there's still a lot of time, uh, a lot of time between now and then. How about uh, maybe Cardale Jones? You know, he, he's kind of a guy that, that fits that bill that his his efficiency wasn't too good. He came in with a lot of size. He hasn't had success either. So he's kind of another one uh, that fits that bill. I think Connor Cook as well. I mean, I'm, I'm I guess I'm I'm doing the opposite. I'm giving you more players who <laughs> did not work out right. But I think that's really uh, important. That's really important when evaluating someone. Is that you know none of these guys have really worked out. Like mm-hmm. we're talking Baker Mayfield. If you throw Lamar Jackson in there, Lamar Jackson's completion percentage isn't great, but what he offers you athletically is far more than Josh Allen. He had more success, way more success, in basically every aspect than Josh Allen. And people want to change him to receiver. Yeah, I, I I agree. His efficiency is not nearly as bad. I'm a lot more excited for Jackson than I am for Allen. And you're right, he'll add some. You know, certainly as a again a guy doing fantasy. I mean, he's going to add value with his legs. That's important. Uh, to that kind of thing, but his efficiency as a passer was much better. You know, you, QB rating in college, completion percentage, QBR, uh, yards per attempt. He's he's throwing deep. He's one of the highest average depth of throws in the class. Uh, you know, he he was he was pretty good in all of these departments. He, he, off target rate about average. You know, it, it was a little better than Darnold actually. Uh, even though he attempted more deeper passes. So you know, I I think Jackson is at least serviceable as a passer and adds so much value as a runner that there's really a lot to like. So before I let you get out of here, uh, one last question is, is Baker Mayfield your number one quarterback? You know what? I've been arguing with myself, like, like we all do <laughs> about these guys. Um, it's either him or Darnold. You know, I, I think, uh, I think Darnold just has a chance to be a really special, you know, Andrew Luck type performer at the NFL level. I am worried about the turnovers a little bit. I think, uh, I think was it Lance Zerline, I think said he has 20 picks his last 20 games or something. I think that's where I, where I heard that. Um, that's not good. You know, you, you really can't have that. Um, so that, that, that bothers me, but I, I like, you know, you like his arm, you like his accuracy, you like his ability to likely step right into an NFL offense and be ready to go make all the throws short, deep, intermediate. You know, I think he, he really has it all. So, and he has the size as well. So, Maybe I'm maybe I'm talking my maybe I'm buying in a little bit to, uh, to the size of Mayfield and the competition. I, I think again, you consider all factor all variables, and and those two guys are very close. But it's definitely Mayfield or Darnold. My comparison for Darnold is uh, if Aaron Rodgers and Blake Bortles had a baby, it would be Sam Darnold. <laughs> is that uh, good? I don't know. Is that good? <laughs> that's my thing. Is like there the upside is there, and his ability to throw on the run and his accuracy, and when his mechanics are right, it's amazing. And there are other plays you're like, what was that decision? And what's that footwork? And, you know, the long loopy motion and taking too long to get the ball there. And But I'm with you with the Darnold ceiling is incredible. Yeah. I just think yeah. By the way. Yeah, I'm with you. By the way, we should add like Mayfield has about two years on Darnold and Rosen and the year older than Jackson and uh, and Allen as well. So he is the oldest. So you would expect Mayfield to be a bit more polished and dominant. But like you said, it, you adjust for that. He's still the best. Yeah, You know, you <laughs> knock him a little bit forward. He's still the best efficiency-wise. He, he just did what you need to do. If, if a guy is 
you know, the expected production is is really high because of his age and the competition, and he performs. I mean, it's just it's hard to knock the guy. It really is. Mike, I think we agreed on a lot of stuff here. I mean, your process is fantastic. You are the man. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, over at ESPN.com, uh, working on my big board now, as you can tell. Putting, I always do like a top 100 board right after the combine. I'll, I'll have it ready to roll before I head down to Indy. And then when I get back, I'll add some information in from the drills and get an initial board up uh, with analysis. So really looking forward to that. So uh, obviously everything over at ESPN.com and then at Mike Clay NFL on Twitter. And um, obviously everybody listening is following you, but it just uh, really, really like your scouting reports. It's a big help as well over Twitter handle. So uh, it, was, it was great, cha- uh, great chat and keep up the great work. Uh, let's do it again. Guys, he's Mike Clay. I'm Elliot Chris. You're listening to the Draft Daily Pod. Please follow us on Twitter at Draft Daily Pod. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. As always, guys, thank you for listening.